This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a podcast from Joy's jazz show, Bent Notes. Tune in live each Sunday night at joy.org.au. My special guest on Bent Notes is an award-winning drummer, composer and audio engineer who started his musical study with the piano at four years of age before moving to drums when he was 11. His first audio engineering recording experience was using a four-track recorder in the late 70s, something that we have in common, as I also started recording with a four-track recorder at the same time when I was at tech school. Nico Schobler has built his career both as a musician and an audio engineer and now runs his own studios, the Pughouse Studios. He's also an in-demand drummer and composer with a new digital album just released for his Then This project. It's my pleasure to bid a very warm bent notes welcome to Nico Schobler. Welcome, Nico. Good evening. Nico, I remember with much joy my time at Clayton Tech recording the school band with a TAC 3340S four-track recorder. How were you introduced to the world of audio engineering? My father spent quite a bit of time in recording studios as a singer, but also then as a producer of albums. I was, would have been like 10 or 11, something like that, 12. I tagged along often. I think there was a studio that sold that uh, the TAG and he bought it uh, for me. I had a his old tape recorder, which was the stereo one, sort of, for memory, was sort of, you know, that sort of brown and beige, bakelite <laughs> look. Yes. <laughs> so I think I had that first, and then he bought me, or my parents bought me that four-track recorder, which has offered so many experimenting possibilities. Wonderful. They were great machines back in the day, weren't they? Oh, they are. They were. And, you know, just record yourself. I mean, now it's so simple. You can do it on any, you can do it on your phone. But yeah, exactly. Then it was extraordinary. What was it about audio recording that caused you to catch the bug for it? I think it was primarily to experiment, then record with my band or f- for my band, uh, try out compositions. Just basically sort of having fun. I mean, I remember, you know, you could turn the reels around and record backwards. And (laughs) I had a a time when I tried to be able to talk backwards and then (laughs) turn it around so we'd see if it sounded right forwards. Uh, Time well spent. (laughs) Free Facebook. (laughs) Indeed. When we had time. We weren't stuck to our phones. (laughs) Did you do much in terms of the layering opportunities with the four-track? Yes, especially a bit later on when I was writing for ensembles. There was also a lot of pre-MIDI and, of course, pre... Well, not pre-computer, but for me, pre-computer. So it was really playing yourself if you wanted to hear how things sounded together. What aspect of that recording process overall in those early days did you enjoy the most? Was it the straight records of bands playing or was it all this experimental stuff of adding things on top and bouncing tracks around, etc.? The experimental aspect, because I could do it in my own time. You didn't have a new idea. You try this, you try this. So that was really the most exciting 
aspect. And and I didn't record really much band stuff, maybe my own bands, but mostly was sort of experimenting things. Lots of great learning experiences. Yes. I mean, learning by doing. I don't remember reading many manuals or books about it. It's a simple process. There's not that much to do. You know, once you learned how not to distort your recording and maybe a bit of microphone placement. I had one microphone. Oh, right. So <laughs> That makes, makes life very interesting. Yes, and, and very simple because then you have all this time and headspace to, to, to focus on other aspects of music making or sound making. Not sure. Speaking backwards is much music, but I should try it now. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a thought on, on your next album. Yes, <laughs> we could have a whole interview speaking backwards. Backwards. Um, I'm not sure how well that would rate, Nico. <laughs> Since those early days, there's obviously been the digital revolution, which you mentioned a short time ago. Generally, it's viewed as a really big step forward. Are there any drawbacks that you find using the digital technology these days compared to the, the simplistic days of analog recording? Yes. You know, nothing is, everything is always sort of two sides, pro and cons. But one of the things I think that get lost potentially is the sort of early decision making. Uh, when you recorded, especially in a studio, that was hugely expensive. Mostly you couldn't afford to buy the multi-track tapes and you got to forget 15 minutes, 20 minutes on a tape. So you had sort of two for an album. So if you wanted to do an, another version of a, of a song, you usually had to erase the one that was, that was on it. Yeah. So we all had to make decisions there and then, com well, compromise, and not look for everyone to be perfect, you know, whatever that means, but... Everyone makes a mistake. No one is always 100% happy with their take of a, of a song. So you'd have to have a bit of yeah, give and take. That's something that can get a bit lost because you can do it again and again and you can edit, and which can be great. Uh, I mean, there's lots of great music done using that process, but it is, it, it create, it's a different atmosphere in the studio. I had once a long time ago a, a band in the studio, the producer, they had a producer, he said, okay, well, we'll only go for complete takes, so we're not going to edit bits together. Okay. And then uh, I said, well, we can always keep things. He said, no, 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 we will decide after the take if we're going with that or not. And if not, I want it erased from the hard drive. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, which was Quite, you know, as it was in the olden days, what it does is create a focus, a different type of focus. You can't sort of just sit back and think, ah, oh, you know, I'll, I'll be I'll be good in the third take. <laughs> so you have to, as a band, as an ensemble, as a team, you have to be sort of at the peak or, you know, at your best together a bit like i guess if someone plays a team sport 
that's a good idea too. You only get one chance as a team sport. <laughs> yes, he's sort of not so good to wake up halfway through and think, oh, I'm already, I'm ready now. Yeah, let's wind the clock back and start again. <laughs> Overall, do you think digital has provided a huge step forward for us? Yes. It's put the means of production into pretty much everyone's hands. There's a lot more creative expression and projects out there that doesn't necessarily mean there's a, an equal percentage of great things, but it gives everyone a, a better chance to explore the things that are possible and that were before were just really available for people with lots of money or that had recording contracts. I remember one project that was sort of mid, mid-80s. We actually had a record company and there was a bit of a budget and the the producer from the company suggested, oh, we might want to try, oh, forget his name, but there was a person who had a fair light. Uh, right. We, so we went to his place and he played us all these things and it was very fascinating you know, you could press a, press a key and it'd be the sound of an aeroplane taking off. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, it was great. In the end, we said, well, I'm not sure what that, how we would use that. So we didn't do it. But there was a machine that cost, you know, the equivalent of probably $400,000 now. And now, again, you know, you can do it probably on your iPad or exactly. whichever tablet you Prefer. I suppose the digital technology has enabled virtually everyone to do what you were doing back in the uh, 70s and 80s with much more expensive equipment at the time. Yes, even speaking backwards. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> in addition to recording and running your studio, you also master audio. What's mastering? I thought recording's recording. Surely you just record it and issue something. What does mastering do? Historically, it comes from mastering for vinyl records because the physical medium has certain characteristics and limitations. A simple explanation describing mastering as opposed to mixing is when you mix you often you might sit for an hour or longer or for a significant amount of time listening to one song or to bits of a song over and over and over. So by the time you've mixed the 10th song, it's probably a different day. While you try to keep things uh, in the same style or the same sonic sphere, when you go back, things might have changed and you, they might all of a sudden one song might sound a bit soft compared to another one if you skip from one song to the other. When you listen to songs in order, you don't want something to all of a sudden seem to have less energy or, you know, those are the aspects. And this is what you look into or an aspect that you look into when mastering. So to have a, if you listen to the album, if anyone sort of still does that sort of thing, <laughs> that you <laughs> yeah. then have a an even sort of listening experience you could also call it a bit of a putting the polish on the album yeah well, that's you could you could if you're recording yourself as part of a project are you more critical of your work both musical and technical that's a good question <laughs> possibly not the problem is sort of you when you record yourself you gotta sort of divide your headspace or you try not to divide yourself so you 
So while I'm playing, I don't want to think, oh, are the levels going to be all all right? And is the, the tape rolling or is the computer still working fine? Or is there a glitch? All this, just one thought like that, and it takes you out of the performance. So it's nicer to have someone who can just monitor the progress. And it often just involves stop and go and record and looking at the levels. That makes it tricky. There's probably something also that people, and I know that people have talked to me about it when they record themselves at home. Even for a, for a demo, if you want to achieve a certain quality so it doesn't sound all crappy, and the performance is a good indication of what you like in your song or in your piece, there's so much going on outside the performance that it's quite distracting. And that's one of the great advantages to of a studio. This is the aspect you don't have to worry about at all. I reckon we should hear some of your work, both involving the musical and technical, and it's from your Then This release, live at the PSMF, which is the Port Ferry Spring Music Festival, recorded late last year while we were in lockdown. Tony Hicks, alto saxon, jazz flute, Stephen Magnuson, guitar, and Mirko Guarini on the tenor and soprano sax, an album that we'll talk a little bit more about shortly. I reckon Now Then would be a good place to start. The album's called Then. This this is Now Then. Is there some linkage in there? There seems to be. Um, <laughs> yeah, the titles, I can't remember if there was one of the first ones I wrote for the ensemble, but it's sort of, you know, let's play now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> there you got this. <laughs> now there's Then This. <laughs> Now then, from Then This, my special guest is drummer, composer and audio engineer Nico Schobler. You're listening to Bent Notes on Joy 94.9. You're listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Find more podcasts and show blogs at joy.org.au. On Joy 94.9, you're listening to Bent Notes, where my special guest is drummer, composer and audio engineer, Nico Schobler. Nico, I see on the Pughouse website that you're looking for a Puxination song described as fun, original songs. What is this all about? That is about, well, surprise, surprise, about COVID <laughs> and oh, right. the vaccination. We just thought we'd offer five studio sessions and video sessions for people who want to record a song that encourages people to get vaccinated and that is a bit of fun and not dire or patronizing so it's it's not a competition as such it's a campaign people can go on the website vaccination with x <laughs> tried various spellings but that seemed to be <laughs> Spell it as it sounds. Yes, I like the spelling. <laughs> it's a great idea, Nico. I think it's a beautiful opportunity for someone to not only see their work recorded, but to have something to show for their efforts and, of course, end up on all their socials. And the idea to promote vaccination at the moment is so important because we would like to get back to something like the lives that we remembered pre-COVID. It's just fantastic. Thank you. It's, it's the only way that uh, we can achieve some sort of a, a steady, more steady life. I mean, just, I, I, I 
totally understand why we're going to lockdown and it is hard and it is draining for everyone, not just for the people in the arts and music. Everything gets rescheduled and then the same things have to get rescheduled again. And now I'm, I'm starting to see people say, well, we could well, we could do, do it then, but we might wait a bit and see how things go. That will make it very difficult for any business. It just um, makes makes it so much longer before we can get back to some type of normality. Yes. So if uh, we can contribute a little bit to that process, that would be excellent. Does it need to be a specific genre? No, not at all. I will update the terms and conditions. I, I think I have to say no, no swearing, for example, um, <laughs> those sort of things. But anything, anything goes. We will limit it to, you know, three maybe a trio, maybe three or plus singer, uh, just because we're offering two hours for the productions, uh, which is ample time to do it. But if someone comes with an orchestra, that might just <laughs> blow the budget a bit. <laughs> that might make it a little challenging indeed. <laughs> yes. And where where do we find more information and uh, details of how we enter our song? It is on www.paghousestudios.com forward slash Paxination, P-U-X-I, Nation, Paxination. And you can also, on that page, you can subscribe, so you'll get updates on that. And people could uh, contact me. We sort of have a deadline end of August, but we'll probably do it over the last uh, three, four months of the year. So I might have a song per month and I'm looking forward to getting great songs I'm sure there's so many great songs out there and this is an opportunity to get even more added to our list of great songs and have a bit of fun into the process let's hear some more from then this Nico before we chat specifically about then this I reckon a piece called three-legged from then this my special guest is drummer composer and audio engineer Nico Schobler you're listening to Bent Notes on Joy 94.9 You are listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Find more podcasts and show blogs at joy.org.au. On Joy 94.9, you're listening to Bent Notes, where my special guest is drummer, composer and audio engineer, Nico Schobler. Nico, we spoke about then this last year when the Melbourne Jazz Cooperative was promoting a gig, and since that time, the group have performed at the Port Ferry Spring Music Festival. However, like a lot of events last year, it was an online gig. Tell me about the experience of performing to an audience that you cannot see or hear. It, difficult. There was the camera crew, uh, so there were a couple of people. They weren't allowed to clap. It can be quite a draining experience because you do get a lot of energy back from an audience that enjoys the music and is listening to you, uh, even if it's not all raucous and crazy. You're not just doing it for yourself, which if you if there's an audience, you do have to do it for each other. Yes, it's not something you would want to do like that all the time. In a small place, it was rec- this one was recorded at the Jazz Lab. I think it is okay because even a few people in there make it look, you know, there's, there is someone there, but 
if you played this, I know the Melbourne Digital Concert Hall has done it, I think at the Athenaeum, that would see probably four or five hundred people and there's no one there. That would feel very lonely. Every musician I've spoken to has made comment about the the energy that they get from the feedback from the audience. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. I've enjoyed listening to the album a number of times in the last week. One thing that comes through loud and clear each and every time is that although you were performing to essentially no audience on the day, the fun that you were having, so much fun that I hear through the music, was the bandstand as much fun as it actually sounds? Yes, totally, totally. <laughs> I mean, when I listen to Steve and Tony and Mirko, like, you know, sometimes I just have to uh, smile, crack a smile, because things happen and people do unexpected things <laughs> and they all do it. It's, no, it's not a forced performance. People just feel free to express themselves and to, yeah, there could be some humour, there could be the unexpected things and you think, well, how did he come up with that? And then the whole band shifts and goes with that. There were a few times when I thought to myself, that sounds as if that person is now reacting musically by laughing in their, their instrument as they were playing. <laughs> I just had a, I've had a great time each and every time. Oh, great. That's fantastic to hear. Thank you. When you write for a group such as this that obviously has fun, is it a simple exercise? And when you are writing for it, do you write specifically for the musicians that you know are performing? Usually I know who will be playing so I can write for them. And the more familiar I am with them as individuals or as a group of people, then the fewer things I have to, I feel I have to write, I can be less descriptive. It can be, but it's not a, quite a sketch. Uh, it is a proper composition, I'll have you know. Oh, but, good. <laughs> but it, it it can be, it might fit on two pages and there's enough in there that inspires people to play and it can come become very different. The interpretations can be very different from band to band over the years, but people that I know are very, they're very open and, they're, and then the band can go into a different direction. I think my songs, they have a, they usually have sort of a quirkiness in them. They can be, well, they can be serious, but they're usually there's an unexpected turn or something a bit unusual. There's an extra bar or there's an odd note where something goes to anything. So that sets up a feeling and a mode of improvisation which contributes to the character of the performance. When you've written something, as you have for then this, an ensemble that you know the instrumentation, is it then easy to rearrange pieces for different instrumentation? Because I understand that you're doing that for this particular batch of music. I am. And I guess this is almost like my Lockdown 5 <laughs> project. Uh, I've, uh, and it actually was an idea that uh, Kate, my wife, had because uh, I've written for saxophone quartets for quite a long time, starting with the Berlin saxophone quartet in the 80s. So there's quite a bit of repertoire of saxophone quartets. And Kay said, why don't you write some more? And then I said, well, I could arrange this, uh, or I could then this, <laughs> yes. for, for, for a quartet. I mean, there's already two saxophones in there, but 
there is, you know, the drums, that is sort of unusual. And the guitar, you know, some of it can e easily be translated. So I've been working on that, and I'm almost through the entire album, which is also a first. I've never done that. I've arranged songs of mine or compositions of mine for quite a lot of different ensembles, from quartets to big bands to piano, saxophone duos. But I've never arranged an entire album. Having said that, I'm just thinking it's not quite true because I did arrange the album Yait Mathang right. for a big band in Berlin. Oh, okay. Uh, but that was over, I don't know, 10 years, sort of one part at a time. Oh, okay. But, but this time, the saxophone quartets are all uh, in the last two weeks or thereabouts. Well, I look forward to hearing that. We're planning to record it, so we're just, just now thinking who will be the other the other two saxophone players. And there might be a version where I do saxophone quartet plus drums. You could always go back in time and grab that four-track recorder and just have one one musician playing all four saxes. <laughs> Actually, yes, Mirko had suggested it. He said, oh, I can do that, or I can do it, and then Tony can play the other saxophones. And I yeah. said, ah. Oh. I think it'd be actually be nice, you know. We'll be out of lockdown at some stage, <laughs> and then let's, you know, I've got a studio as it happens. Let's get together and spend an afternoon of playing together because that's where the real fun is. The writing is fun, but the playing and or hearing play, I don't have to play myself. I can just listen to them and, and just have a great time. It's the ability for the, the musicians to interact live as each other is playing. That's what makes life and music so much fun and so interesting. Absolutely. Where can we hear more of the album and find it available to add to our collections? It is digitally available on Bandcamp, pughousestudios.bandcamp.com. Next Friday, I believe, first Friday of the month, they will, again, they won't charge any fees, but Get it whenever you like. People who are interested can also go on my own website, nicoschreiblet.com. There's a page in that called Scores and Charts. Ah. And the scores for the quartet, they're all on there and they're free to download if you want to see. With uh, all the notes. Marvel how, how we got from this <laughs> to that. <laughs> it sounds like a good thing to do. Nico, what's your favourite piece off the album? Because I think that's the piece that we should listen to. I always think that one of the most delightful and incredible aspects of uh, this band is the playing of uh, Mirko and Tony, Mirko Gorini and Tony Hicks together, who had actually not played together. I think they played in a big band setting, but not they haven't played in an improvisational setting before and it's just amazing and it starts with a duo between two of them and this is how as good as it gets what now i think is the name of that piece that we'll we'll have a listen to a great example of then this nico thank you so much for your time tonight on bent notes my best wishes to you for success with the album and of course for lots more fun with the Puxination song competition from PugHouseStudios.com. Thank you. A pleasure, as always. My special guest has been drummer, composer and audio engineer, Nico Schobler. You're listening to Bent Notes on Joy 94.9.
You've been listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Join us live each Sunday night on Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.